And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to tell you again, I love having the opportunity to talk to you every Sunday night for two hours um, about Saving America. That's pretty much my summary of my show. I just want to do everything I can to preserve this extraordinary, exceptional, precious gift of liberty that America is to the world. I also want to thank our sponsor of the show. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research and advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Simply could not do the show without them. Very grateful um, that they sponsor this show. Okay, and so we have a guest joining us in the next segment, Elizabeth Sabadich Wolf. I'll tell you a little bit uh, more about her in the end of this segment, but in my cruise to the news, these are all the stories I would happily talk more about. Had I only more time, I just want to touch on them because they all matter in shaping America. There was actually an interview uh, with the uh, Harvard uh, law professor who's been pretty much uh, defensive uh, or defending President Donald Trump in this whole Mueller investigation. And he's had many brilliant points he's made throughout. But he did, and I think it was this morning in a statement, um, Alan Dershowitz is this attorney's name. He did say that the Mueller report is coming out soon. Robert Mueller, special counsel appointed by the Department of Justice in direct conflict to the regulations permitting that appointment because they are required by law to say what crime has been charged or suspected. No crime mentioned. But in any case, Mueller's report is coming out. And it was actually kind of an unfortunate interview because Alan Dershowitz ended up saying he believes the Mueller report will be devastating for the president. So. I always apply the same standards to everyone. I, I want people to follow the rule of law. I will say, given the uh, witch hunt is not even, a, is, is too nice a word of the motivation of this entire Mueller investigation, I kind of want to urge people to, you know, to buck up, be ready, and, and wait and see what it says. Because no matter what it says, the media is going to work as hard as they can to depict the president as having uh, complicity in something or other that certainly should involve his removal. Uh, There will be, because the Democrats now control the U.S. House, which is what we did not want to happen, uh, they may very well move toward impeachment. It depends what the report says. To be clear, there have been people, because of Mueller's completely untethered, unlimited scope of investigation, people connected to President Trump who did... uh, were prosecuted, were investigated, were prosecuted, uh, went to jail, paid fines. None of those people, and this is one of the stellar and important talking points to retain, none of those people were charged or convicted with any crime relating in any way to collusion with the Russians by President Trump or his team during the 2016 election cycle. This is not. I mean, they, they made other things that were wrong and, you know, they were, had the unlucky fate of having been connected to President Trump. But at the end of the day, there is no proof yet of any kind of collusion. So, OK, another thing we talk a lot of on the show about the social media and just the endless uh, silencing of people on the American left. Uh, there is a someone who I actually had never even heard of her before, I'll confess, but I guess she's kind of trendy. Laura Loomer. She was banned from Twitter, 
banned from Twitter for criticizing a recently elected uh, member of U.S. Congress who happens to be Muslim named Representative Ilhan Omar. Her tweet that got her permanently banned from Twitter said, Isn't it ironic how the Twitter moment used to celebrate, quote, women, LGBTQ, and minorities, close quote, is a picture of Ilhan Omar. Ilhan is a pro-Sharia. Ilhan is a pro-FGM under Sharia. Homosexuals are oppressed and... Um, amputated, killed. She's using abbreviations. Anyway, um, women are abused, um, forced to wear the hijab. Ilhan is anti-Jewish. Because she wrote that, she was permanently banned from Twitter. I'd like to ask, you know, we maybe ask our guests, what did she say that was not factually true? That's a very good question. Okay, another cruise of the news. Barack Obama had an amazing meltdown. The guy, honestly, I, I... it's truly amazing if he were anyone other than who he is. Uh, but he was speaking at his own Obama Foundation in Chicago this week. And he was just, he was answering questions. Well, what about climate change? All these different issues. He ended up saying that America's not making progress, quote, because we're still confused, blind, shrouded with anger, hate, racism, mommy issues. I mean, seriously, the guy, someone to just shut him up. I'm just idiotic. Okay, I want to quick hit the story of Chief, Chief Justice Roberts, whom I, you know, he was appointed by a Republican president. He is Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. He said this week in a statement, he pushed back against a remark that President Trump had made about an Obama judge. Trump used the expression an Obama judge. And Chief Justice Roberts actually said, he was apparently like, you know, not under duress at the time. He said that Obama judges, there's no, you, the United States does not have Obama judges or Trump judges, Bush judges or Clinton judges. This is like, I mean, this is like an astonishing statement because everyone knows that the American left you know, shops, jurisdiction, they end up in district courts to end up in the Ninth Circuit because they know these Obama-courted liberal liberal judges are going to rule whatever way the left wing wants them to rule. I have time for one last story. My cruise to the news, Brexit withdrawal agreement, Britain's desire to leave the EU. Brexit withdrawal agreement was approved by EU leaders, so now they're on a path. They're going to go back to see if they can get it finally through. It's a little bit of a, a dicey thing in England. Okay. Coming up after our break, I have in studio Elizabeth Sabadich-Wolf, the Austrian woman convicted of a crime for saying something true about the Prophet Muhammad. Our topic is the future of free speech in Europe. On Facebook, come back in four minutes. We'll be right back. The soul of freedom is crying out. Can you hear us Patriot Paws Service Dogs is a national nonprofit whose only mission is to train and provide service dogs of the highest quality at no cost to disabled veterans with mobile disabilities. Patriot Paws has unique partnerships with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice and with Texas A&M University to help train their dogs. Not only are the dogs saving veterans' lives, they're changing lives from prison cells to college dorms. It takes two years and costs $34,000 to train one Patriot Paws service dog for a disabled veteran. Would you consider helping a disabled veteran get a service dog? Visit PatriotPaws.org. 
Patriot Paws has over 80 veterans waiting for a service dog and receives hundreds of calls each month from other veterans asking for help. Visit PatriotPaws.org and find out how you can help. Follow Patriot Paws on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and consider a donation at PatriotPaws.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with five talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. Sometimes I love laying that music play. I love, love, love that music for the show. It's just really, um, 
It's what the show is, you know? Gotta love America. So, Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. I have in studio Elizabeth Savadish-Wolf. So, hi. Welcome. Ah, thanks for having me, Debbie. It's great to be back with you. So, we actually met, I don't know, at least earlier this year uh, when you were in America. But the quick story, for those of you who don't know, is Elizabeth is uh, an Austrian, a, a citizen of Austria. And she was arrested for statements she made in a public speech in 2009 and 10. Is that right? That- Eight and nine. Eight and nine. And so I just, and it has to do with criticizing Islam. So I want to start with just having you, if you would tell our listeners, why are we giving speeches and, um, and then what caused them ultimately to decide to charge you with a crime? Um, I started uh, giving speeches for the Austrian Freedom Party, which is ironically now in a coalition government uh, ruling the country. But back then it was very far away from doing that. Uh, The reason I wanted to uh, tell people about Islam is because I uh, witnessed the changing uh, of Austrian society after the Bosnian War. And we had many refugees from Bosnia in Austria and Austrian society changed. And uh, because there's the majority of those fleeing from Bosnia to Austria were Muslims, you could see... uh, a high number of Muslim women wearing the headscarf. And uh, I I felt that it was necessary to educate people about Islam. Nobody else did it at the time. Strangely, a lot of people have popped up now, uh, but I was a lone voice uh, back then. So I gave those uh, seminars. There were 12 hour in total. And uh, in one of the seminars in November of 2009, a uh, young journalist from a leftist magazine infiltrated and re- secretly recorded those seminars, had a transcript made, and took the the transcript to the prosecutor's office. And uh, about 10 months later, charges were uh, made, and I was forced to stand trial, go through the entire court proceedings. And the interesting part of uh, the, the what, what's interesting about those court proceedings was that at first um, there was I was charged with hate speech and the hate speech charge after listening to the secret recordings did not fly. And so the judge at her own discretion, which is uh, not possible here in the United States, the judge at her own discretion added a new charge with which to convict me which is called denigration or vilification of religious teachings of a legally recognized religion in Austria. So uh, this may sound strange to you, but Austria has a special religious um, law that permits certain religious groups to seek an official status. So under that, I was convicted for disparaging uh, Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. And specifically, didn't you mention, or part of what I understood about the story was what you were talking about is uh, the Prophet Muhammad, the founder of Islam, was that he had married a six-year-old and consummated the marriage at age nine and questioned whether that should constitute pedophilia. Is that right? Exactly. My, my exact words were, uh, what do you call the behavior of the so-called Prophet, of Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad, uh who married a six-year-old and consummated the marriage when she was nine. What do you call this behavior if not pedophilia? So it was a rhetorical question. What I was 
doing, and I specifically remembered the circumstances and what I was actually thinking, what was going through my mind at the time when I said those words. It's as if I said it yesterday. Um, I was looking for another word. I was not, there was no intention to denigrate or vilify anyone. I just was looking for another word. You know, what's so, what's wrong about that? I was looking for a synonym of the word uh, pedophile. I did not say Muhammad was a pedophile. So that's a big difference. But they got me on that. And uh, I was fined um, a fairly small sum. But uh, that was only because I have no job. And therefore, the day fines were very low. But had I had a, a very good paying job, um, the problem would have been that, you know, it would have been in the thousands of euros. You know, I've heard you say before, and it is really interesting for our American listeners, in America, we are so accustomed to the idea that we have a First Amendment. We have a constitutional written in the Bill of Rights, guarantee of free speech. So, but you don't have the equivalent of that in Austria. So what they're really saying is, the, the essence of it is you don't have free speech even to say something that's true. And we don't have free speech to, to defame, to lie about people, but to say true things we do. So you don't have a, a guarantee of free speech even to say something true or the idea of hurting someone's feelings about their religion trumps your right to say what's true. Correct. That's that's precisely it. We ha- we uh, no longer have the right uh, to speak the truth. Um, the truth is no defense. And uh, this this has now been proven by the European Court of Human Rights. Uh, the truth is no defense. And this is this this must sound awful to anyone here uh, in the United States uh, with the First Amendment. We don't need any any additional laws in the books anyhow, because we both in the United States and in Europe, we have laws against slander and defamation and what have you. We don't need blasphemy laws. And ironically, only five weeks ago, uh, Ireland moved away from blasphemy laws. And now here we have the European Court of Human Rights reinstating blasphemy laws. Isn't that ironic? It is. And actually, for our listeners, the European Court of Human Rights is the highest court of hearing cases of this kind. And its rulings apply all over Europe. Is that right? Uh, not just Europe. Uh, don't don't uh, forget the European Co- Court of Human Rights does not have jurisdiction over the European Union. This is the Council of Europe, uh, which was founded in 1959 and extends all the way into countries like Azerbaijan. Wow, the former uh, Eastern Bloc countries. Correct. Okay. Correct. So their ruling is sent to be really clear because I think this is staggering to keep in mind. This is two things. It is a ruling by the highest court you can go to. You have no further court to go to. No. That you don't have a right to say things out loud in public that are true that will offend someone who's Muslim. Is that right? Yes. Uh, they <laughs> didn't, they didn't use uh, words to that effect, but uh, they didn't state it out loud. But, of course, it's always the right of the other not to be offended, which now trumps the right to freedom of speech uh, in in the 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 countries of the uh, Council of Europe. So uh, this is very frightening if you think about it. It's frightening especially because you use the word blasphemy. And I wanted to mention something else that's very troubling. The concept of Islamization, the forced spread of Islam by adherents of of the religion of Islam, this is an example of doing that because Islam 
prohibits its adherents, its followers, its members from blaspheming the prophet. You can't say not you can't say anything bad about the prophet. But what this is doing is this is Islamization mindset is saying, even if you're not Muslim, you can you you essentially you must follow what Sharia says, Islamic law Sharia says, which is you can't. I mean, it, it's it's truly breathtaking. It's also interesting uh, to note that uh, the ruling itself. Uh, calls it, it calls the prophet muhammad it doesn't say muhammad the prophet of islam or the founder of islam so it's already using the uh, muslim way of addressing uh the founder of islam which is which is also terrifying because it's a further step uh to the islamization of our court system it really is. There's another quick point. We only have a minute left in this segment, which you were telling me on the phone earlier today about the way the court spoke about pedophilia was a dangerous all by itself. Can you, are you able it's, to say that? It's in- very frightening uh, because the sexual integrity of children has now been uh, taken away. It has been removed because uh, the court defines pedophilia uh, according to uh, the WHO definition, so the clinical definition, it's the sole interest in children. So if a man has sexual relations with only one child, that is basically okay. It's, the problem is if it's more than one and since, and since Muhammad had adult wives as well as exactly. this, this so minor child, it doesn't he constitute pedophilia. It wasn't pedophilia. This is a, you know, what I really I was thinking about after we hung up today was to make that stretch, for the court to make that stretch to say, well, this isn't really pedophilia because it was just one young student, young girl. This is really trying to find a way to force the conviction they want to force rather than to deal with a problem. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk, and we have in studio tonight Elizabeth Savage-Wolf. She's been an amazing trooper since the time of her conviction to try to spread the word and, and raise the alarm bell. So we come back after break, more of Elizabeth Savage-Wolf on America Can We Talk. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. 
nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and if you've been listening, you know I have in studio Elizabeth Savadich-Wolf, an Austrian woman who was telling us in the last segment about her criminal conviction in the country of Austria for saying something in public that was true about the Prophet Muhammad, the Islamic Prophet Muhammad, because they were more willing, and the highest court in Europe has confirmed this, more willing to have her... Uh, free speech limited in order to protect the feelings or uh, emotions of... And to preserve the peace, in the preserve, religious peace in the country. I'm so glad you added that. 
preserve religious peace, which is kind of like letting the bad guys set the terms. It's kind of saying, let me rob the bank and then I no longer get shot. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's that, okay, a little bit of an exact, but it's that kind of thing. It's like, let the people, we're going to decide what is going to happen. And otherwise we may get violent. So you're just going to let it happen. Okay. So you've been on a mission since then to try to raise awareness of this issue. And there, and I wanted to mention two other things for our listeners um, to kind of set in the table, set the table, and then we talk about them. But one was there was actually a United Nations resolution dealing with um, the um, the notion of insulting faith. It's it, uh, resolution 1618. And um, it was ahead. it was passed uh, in 2012 uh, by the United Nations Human Rights Council and it was uh, adopted unanimously, and it targets uh, speech, but especially and foremost uh, any criticism of Islam. It was pushed by the Organization of the Islamic Conference, uh, and it was gladly taken up by then-President Obama and then-Secretary State of State Hillary Clinton. Uh, and it's ur- it, it urges states to take effective measures of addressing and combating incidences uh, of religious hatred. And 1618 is a call to curtail certain kinds of expressive acts. Remember, this is something that the United States was pushing back then. Now imagine yeah. if Under Hillary Obama Clinton had won. And Hillary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, imagine if Hillary Clinton won. We're going to get on the next segment how much the American left still relies on this. Hillary Clinton backed it, still thinks it's a great thing. But I just wanted to make that point that United Nations is actually in the middle of this kind of international discussion of whether or not we can discuss something as dangerous, oppressive, scary, controversial as radical Islam or just Islam and the violence it's causing. So one thing you've done, what I wanted to have you uh, talk about is uh, you were attending a conference in Warsaw and I want to have you, like what would you, where this issue is being discussed, if you can just give the background of that conference, I'm going to play a few clips, but first what was the conference? The conference is the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, which is a 57 uh, member state uh, organization, which includes the United States and Canada and uh, basically the um, entire Western Hemisphere. And uh, my uh, fabulous delegation and I have been fighting for freedom of speech at the so-called Human Dimension Implementation Meeting, which takes place every fall in the city of Warsaw. And I have been doing this uh, also now for 10 years, and we're trying to push back all that hate speech garbage. Uh, also, that that was also and, and has been and, and somehow continues to be sponsored by the United States because this deep state is still at work. Don't ever think just because there's President Trump, you can now become complacent. No. <laughs> and uh, I have been working overtime like crazy uh, to raise awareness for this important uh, organization because it's still the or- only organization where we we as a civil society can speak out. And that's what my colleagues and I, especially the Center for Security Policy, uh, have been speaking out very loudly. So I think it would be uh, a good time to play some clips. If yeah, you I want to play your clip to start with. This is Elizabeth Savage-Wolf at this meeting, OSCE meeting, um, and it just makes a, her point very poignantly. Here we go. One of the questions raised by the annotated agenda is whether any progress has been made in establishing specialized bodies and strategies 
to address racism, xenophobia, intolerance, and discrimination. Pax Europa believes there is no need for any further specialized bodies. Instead, we should refrain from criminalizing speech based on feelings. The introduction of hate crimes and hate speech laws, both of which describe a feeling and are used to demonize, demonize a person holding a dissenting opinion, have had a chilling effect felt all across the OSCE region west of Vienna. Moreover, to this day, there is a lack of measurement or detection as to what legally constitute, constitutes a bias motive. Pointing fingers by collecting hate crime incidents has thus far not been successful. Rather, it has led to what is known in totalitarian societies as snitching. Even more worrying, hate speech prosecutions as a result of perceived intolerance or discrimination have always targeted the majority population, a population not considered worth protecting. Aren't we supposed to be inclusive? If so, why is one part of the population protected while the other is targeted by the threat of prosecution? I love that statement. First, you're very eloquent. I love that statement. And I really like the idea of thinking about the contrast. You know, we we celebrate in this country and in Western Europe, we did for many you know, centuries, that we were kind of the beacon of, of, you know, freedom and free speech. And we were going to be the one that stood, um, you know, stood for the, I, I don't agree with what you say, but I agree, with your, um, I'll defend to the death your right to say it, that whole feeling. And what's happening with your case and in Europe and frankly in the discussions about hate speech in America is this idea that we're past honoring freedom of speech and somehow as we're more we progress more by repressing some speech if some un, some element of society you can't control deems it hate speech and it's all about feelings you know we're now demonizing feelings remember you know this is a slippery slope the next thing will be thought crimes and let me tell you something this i just recently uh heard uh in the austrian parliament uh, that the members of parliament are considering checking on people's thoughts that before they, you know, are able to say something, we should check on their thoughts. We should, it, it, you know, this is George Orwell's 1984, uh, in, not in the making, it's already here. And uh, imagine if, if George Orwell were alive now, he... he he would be baffled that we're we're way beyond anything that that he ever dreamed of. Absolutely true. I also want to get to this. I, I love that you spoke at that conference. I want to get to though something you said when you were here in Texas earlier in the year. You talked about the efforts, the elections that happened in Austria, and the elections there to try to change things to to combat what we're talking about. And this is a, a segment of you speaking uh, in May of this year. Austria had an election last fall, and about 58% of these people, including me, voted in a government that is anti-immigration, openly anti-immigration. And I will tell you a few of those steps, I will talk about a few of those steps that perhaps President Trump can emulate in the future as well. So these are anti-immigration policies that are going to be enacted very, very soon. We have two different parties. We have the so-called conservative party 
and we have the, the Freedom Party. They call themselves the Freedom Party. It's an, the, free, the, the Conservative Party is mildly arch-conservative, arch-establishment, and of course Freedom Party we know is uh, a firebrand, uh, a fiery populist party, which is actually good. Now let me tell you about one part of the coalition agreement that I think is very important for you to know. It actually, I'm going to it's a translation, but I'll qu I'm quoting verbatim. It says here that Austria guarantees freedom of belief and religion, but fights political Islam. By political Islam, we mean groups and organizations whose ideological foundation is Islam and which seek to change the basic political and social order by rejecting our constitution and Islamizing society. Political Islam, which can lead to radicalization, anti-Semitism, violence and terrorism, has no place in our society. This is official government policy right now, and it's a good one too. So those are remarks you made at a conference here in Dallas in May. And I wanted to ask you, and we're not, we have just a short time left in this segment, so maybe we come back, we'll talk about it. But I want to talk about when we come back, how are you making progress in Austria? Do you have, uh, is it, is, if or not, is there a delay because of the opposition? Because what is the reason not to make progress? Because you went through a longer list than I could play in that segment of steps Austria and the, the Freedom Party are trying to take. But I want you to have to talk to our listeners about what resistance that you have met when well, we come back from our break. Sadly, we're out of time oh, here, but <laughs> sorry. Debbie Jordath, Elizabeth Savage Wolf, America Can We Talk, come back after the break. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty, from free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. 
Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk, to my fastest two hours of my week. I love talking with you. I can't believe we're nearing in the show already. We have one last great segment, though. We have Elizabeth Sabinich-Wolf in studio. We're talking about she was criminally convicted in the country of Austria for saying something true about the Prophet Muhammad, or what the, um, I say, the Islamic faith refers to as a Prophet Muhammad. Um, and that conviction was confirmed by the highest court with authority on that issue uh, over in, in Europe. And so it's a, um, it's a done deal that way. She's been pushing very hard to have the um, changes made in the law in Austria uh, to recognize that this precious freedom of speech that we in America would take for granted should be uh, honored and should not be trumped by uh, people's feelings related to their religion. But so what we, were, we played before the break was a, a statement you made when you were here in Dallas in May, and you used the expression about the country of Austria had had elections and maybe the new election, elected officials were going to take action. What's happened since then? <laughs> um the government uh, ha- held a joint press conference in June, uh, making a big announcement how they would close down mosques, certain mosques, and uh, evict or, or ki- almost kick out of the country certain imams, and uh, how this is all great and it's for the security of, of the people and, you know, all this... this uh, it was just a big announcement, and there was 
I, I was actually laughing when I watched that press conference because I knew right away what would happen. And I predicted what would happen. And it, 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 it happened. Not a single mosque has been closed. Uh, a few imams have indeed left the country, but they were due to leave anyway, so they weren't kicked out. And uh, it's, it's politics by announcement that I don't think works. That I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, they don't. Imp- that kind of politics doesn't impress me at all, and I would like to see politics that um, ha- has an effect on on what is going on in, in in Austria. And this was just a show. I we don't we don't have time for shows. We we ha- we have to really get down to business. And the government uh, using the term political Islam. It's misleading. It's false. There's no such thing as political Islam. And to give you an example, if uh, a child is undergoes uh, female genital mutilation, is that political Islam? If a, a non-Muslim is beheaded, is that political Islam? If a woman is forced to cover up from head to toe, is that political Islam? No. At the end of the day, it's just Islam because there's no such thing as political Islam. This is a feel-good term uh, to tell people, well, Islam is not so bad after all. And imagine if we had been, or my my family, my fourth, uh, my my grandfather uh, had been told, oh. It's just political national socialism. There's nothing to worry about national socialism. It's just a political aspect that we should worry about. Imagine what what our lives would be like right now. Let me ask you this, too. I want to get to, I hope we have time in this segment, at this very last segment, but I want to get to what's, uh, why you're here in America and what kind of warning bells you're trying to um, ring here and what issues we have in America. But back to Austria for a second, just for our listeners to get a picture of it. You know, we in America watch the news. We see, for example, that there were, you know, all sorts of horrendous terror attacks in England, the UK, in France, and, and in Germany. In Austria, we, there, have been, there has been some violence, uh, but not the same kind of scope and and depth of terror attack that's happening in other Western European countries where it's just a relentless, astonishing uh, brutality. But what in Austria, I know you mentioned women walking around wearing hijabs, but what about the uh, growing Islamic presence in Austria was, you said it changed the culture. And I don't know if you, I I don't know if you have a a more thorough answer, but was it, is it with respect to the treatment of women in public and his expectations of the country, uh, you know, complying with Sharia standards? What what is the All of the above. Describe some of that. Well, uh, you have, you have, uh, Stores, halal stores popping up all over the place. I have one near my house, a fairly new one. Uh, You have Muslim families uh, moving into high-end apartments. Uh, My neighbors, for instance, uh, live in an apartment next door. Uh, The the rent is 1,200 euros a month, uh, all paid by the taxpayer because they certainly can't afford it and we wouldn't be able to afford it. So the tax somehow your tax dollars are paying for uh, Islamic immigrants to rent high end apartments. Exactly. But what about you? Said some some tape worried about the safe, safety of your daughter going to school. What do you mean by that? I can tell you one thing. I've stopped taking public transportation. I do not let my daughter uh, take public transportation when it's dark outside 
So, uh, you know, it's changed my life. I, I no longer uh, take public transportation. I drive all the time. And whenever she leaves in the morning, uh, I worry about her returning safely at night. Uh, that's certainly not something that uh, my parents would have uh, done back in the 1980s when my sister and I, the same age, uh, took public transportation in Chicago to get to our school. So the idea of the presence of the, the threat of Islam in Austria is, while well, you haven't had the massive terror attacks, you've had, I read something recently, but you, you have the uh, aggression, I'm asking, but you have the aggression, bay, Islamic youth. Plenty of that. Yeah. Plenty of that. Uh, you read it in the newspapers every single day about knife uh, attacks, about um uh, about rapes, uh, it's it's nowhere near as bad as it is in, in Germany, but it's bad enough, and every rape is one rape too many. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I just want to get, I realized as we've been talking tonight, we I made an assumption about our listeners' knowledge of the impact in Western Europe of this massive influx of Islamic immigration and, you know, the big terror attacks we all read about, but the day-to-day concern about the young girls being raped, you can't go in certain neighborhoods you used to be able to go to, the girls aren't safe, they are harassed by I mean that, that kind of picture it's I, I know that um, I hear it described in various conferences I go to I'm sure our listeners heard it's not just a, a a visceral I don't like people of some other faith it's their conduct it's in- precisely the conduct uh, and again you open the newspapers every morning and you see that conduct play out uh, the the knives. Nobody's ever used knives to to kill people or to scare people. Uh, this is new. This is something it's happening that we, regularly now. It's very regularly the, that we witness that, um, and it's 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 frightening, and it's something that I should have the right to say no to. But that is being taken away from us. To be able to speak up and describe it, talk about it with your friends. There was a case I'll mention quickly to our listeners, too, and I think all the, the articles that we're talking about tonight are up on links on our website, americacanwetalk.org. There was an article just, I think, today or yesterday, uh, a Sharia victory in the Netherlands. And again, Sharia is Islamic law. The short story was in the Netherlands, uh, member of parliament Geert Wilders was going to hold a second draw Muhammad contest. And, you know, this is a direct challenge to the idea that non-Muslims should have to follow Islamic law. I mean, Islamic law, Sharia says if you're a Muslim, you can't draw pictures of Muhammad. And Islamization includes the effort of of Muslims to insist that people in their host country, non-Muslims, must follow Sharia in the same way they do, or they can be punished. And so the Draw Muhammad contest is a challenge to the Islamization effort. It's, just, it's an effort to say, no, we are not going to follow Sharia. So in uh, Netherlands, Gilt, Gilt Rolders had planned a second Draw Muhammad contest, but uh, then uh, in protest of that, a young Afghan... Uh, a Muslim Afghan stabbed two American tourists in Amsterdam and cited as the reason the planned contest uh, offended him. So because that happened, and so then people get worried, they're, it's dangerous, they're worried about what's going to happen, he had to cancel the uh, contest. And this is, again, surrender to the the aggression of Islam, they will control, and one way or the other, they will control the society that welcomes them. At least in, in this particular case, there was not the, the basic message that he took, here, Gert Wolders took, is I better not do this. And you don't need, uh, what this shows us, you don't need a majority population to frighten people into submission and into silence.
Very good point. Okay, so you're here in America. Now we only have three minutes left. You're here in America trying to raise the alarm bell, and you've been speaking very what's, – what's your message when you're here? Um, the message is don't become complacent. Uh, don't think uh, just because you have uh, President Trump in Washington uh, that it's time to, to be complacent and to – you know, everything's just fine. It isn't. There's a deep state. It's still doing its all its work. We also have a deep state in, in, in Austria. Just because we have a new government doesn't mean uh, that uh, things aren't moving forward in, uh, you know, in a direction that we don't want. Uh, I'm here to explain that this uh, verdict against me is not uh, something that Americans should ignore. As a matter of fact, you should be watching us carefully in Europe because what happens in Europe will happen in the United States uh, probably sooner than you think. And I'm also here uh, to raise money because I have a legal defense fund that uh, needs to be filled because my lawyer also needs to be paid and uh, if you want more information, go to friendsoffreespeech.org and you can donate uh, tax deductible. Uh, just hit the d- donation button and, and help us out and uh, help me out. Uh, and remember one thing, this case isn't about me as Elizabeth. It's this the is future a case, of freedom of this speech. This is all of us and the future of freedom of speech. And I really would like support from everybody out there, not just a small group of people because it concerns you as Americans and the Europeans as well. So it's friendsoffreespeech.org. You can go. I went there today. You can donate. You can also sign a petition. Mm-hmm. I, I think just to have elected officials who feel, who get tremendous pressure from Islamists, from sympathizers with Islam, that and, and the, the kind of prevailing notion in the anti-American or a left or the, the just the, the left in the world is that somehow it is to endlessly depict Muslims as the victims. And so the idea of standing up for someone uh, who said a true thing about Islam uh, is not as trendy, it's not as popular. We're almost out of time here, so I want to mention two other things. If you don't think this could happen in America, recognize that that United Nations resolution we mentioned earlier that was all about sympathizing with Islam and paying them as as victims uh, was a little bit echoed in a U.S. House resolution, House Resolution 569, signed by the Democrats, again, calling out uh, Muslims as victims um, to be protected. And at the end of the day, it's really going to be uh, incumbent on those who want to retain the culture of America to call out these things. We are out of time. I cannot believe it. Elizabeth, thank you for coming in. Thank you. It was, it's always a pleasure to be here. And I'm sh- I will be sure to check in with you again next time I'm in Dallas. Thank so you. glad you did. America Can We Talk, Wednesday, 3 o'clock podcast at America Can We Talk, 3 p.m. Central Time. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Can we talk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth about America. Oh